Hello, everyone and listeners and viewers. Uh, welcome to season three of the Working Within podcast. The smile on my face is so real today. This is our first episode for season three, first video interview. We have a really amazing guest here to share with you. Um, yeah, but welcome to Working Within. Working Within is a new age wellness podcast. New age because we talk about the alternative, we talk about the non-traditional and wellness because we talk ultimately wanting to treat ourselves better and live better lives. Um, I'm your host, Charlene. Today we'll be talking about self-compassion and self-expression. And um, before we get started, I would love to have my guest, Rosanna, introduce herself to you all. Well, Charlene, thanks for inviting me on. Hi, everyone. I'm Rosanna Deruthi. I'm Vice President of Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging at LinkedIn. Um, my pronouns are she, her, and ella, a reflection of my Latina culture as a Cuban Puerto Rican who was raised in New York City. Um, I am a Piscean, for those of you who are interested in the zodiac sign. And it probably explains a lot about my own personality and disposition in life. And I consider myself a talent alchemist. Um, I engage in the work of helping people realize their potential through the raw matter of their lives and experiences and culture, all the things that comprise our identity. And I take pride in removing barriers to the opportunities that lie ahead when our identities are perceived as uh, a challenge or different or not welcome. So I, I like the idea of transforming what's there and making it something greater. And I think that's who we all are in this world. I love that. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that with us. And to double click on the Pisces, obviously, since this is working within, um, I think that makes a lot of sense to show how universal and like accepting you are. Um, for context, viewers and listeners, uh, Razan and I met through a mutual friend. We've had a few chances to talk before this. And what has always impressed me about, um, I think, how we've gotten along and what I've learned from her is that um, she just has a very like uh, wide understanding of the world very tuned in to how people relate to each other. And to that end, her role at LinkedIn just seems so appropriate. Um, ultimately, like understanding that her own inner awareness and inner acceptance helps her like accept other people. And I just really admire that. So um, I'm excited that we get to hear from you today and I get to shoot you with a bunch of questions. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're gonna have a blast. Yeah. I'm curious to know what first came to mind for you when we kind of like meshed toward this topic of self-compassion and self-expression. I know in our first conversation, we were talking a lot about self-acceptance um, and we talked a lot about vulnerability as well and like how you being a vulnerable person and being more comfortable with like your inside parts, your within parts, that has helped you like kind of accept some things from your past and also just be really great at your role. Um, and so like, yeah, what came to mind when we finally got to this version of the session that we're recording today? You know, when we had the conversation, I think what stood out for me was how much of what I was taught would make me successful. I had to unlearn, you know, 
I came of age at a time when you didn't bring yourself to work. You assumed another persona and you sent your avatar into the office and you hid yourself. You hid those things that made you stand out. You hid those things that made you different from the people who were successful in the environment. You hid, in my case, you hid your femininity and being a woman to prove you could hang with the guys. You hid being gay um, because there was too much risk at the time in having the world know that about me. Um, I've always spoken the way I speak, and which has led many to say, wow, I didn't realize you spoke Spanish. You don't have an accent. And so sometimes it wasn't even the intentionality of hiding anything, but it was an acknowledgement that what made me different wouldn't necessarily always be valued. And coming into my own and experiencing life and career, and I intentionally say life and career because I think there's a, a phoneness to this idea of work-life balance. We have lives and then we work inside of our lives. So whatever we do, it's inside of one life. And it really has become that one life for me with this ability to accept myself and be myself and offer grace to myself. Uh, and if you start there, you develop the capacity to do that for others as well. So it's really been a journey to acknowledging who I am, uh, a journey to um, determine what matters most for me, the journey of dealing with reality in an empowered way, not a less than way. And it takes a lot of unlearning to get there. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And that notion of hiding that you mentioned uh, is very real um, and something I think I'm currently learning to unlearn. Uh, but it becomes even harder when, when there are parts of yourself that you can't hide, for instance, skin color. Um, and so it's almost like, you know, there are parts of me that are always reckoned with because they are unavoidable and that can signal to someone less than, and there are parts of me that you don't even see that I still feel are contributing to some lesser value, um, some bias, some difficulty that I would have to embrace in the workplace if you knew or I would have to embrace somewhere if you knew about that. So that um, is a really hard balance. I so get that. I do. And I think that's precisely why I'm so fascinated with helping people transform, not change, but transform that which gets in the way. You know, we can't change our lives. We can't change who we are. But often the very barriers that we're trying to slay are barriers that not, are not only created by society, but are owned by us. And so how do we move that first rock by not being a steward over society's depiction of who we should be or what we are or what we are not, but to declare for ourselves who we are and to create that experience of life based on our view, our commitment to what matters, not a commitment to the things we know not to be true. Mm. Mm. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um. Thank you. I'm going to say that every time because thank you for sharing so honestly. Um, and I'm wondering, Rosanna, if 
now would be a good time to just, you mentioned unlearning um, earlier and I'm just really curious, you know, personally, what are some of the experiences that have shown you how to show up for yourself or how to be yourself more? Like, what did that choice look like? I know in our previous conversations, we had the chance to talk through some of those, but um, if there were one um, experience maybe that showed you how you can begin to show up for yourself and be who you are, even though you were un- still learning and unlearning how to stop hiding from who you are, um, what would one of those experiences be? You know, there are probably so many experiences along the journey, but, you know, each experience reveals a little bit more of the puzzle is how I've seen it in my life. I think the first experience was probably when I was uh, 16, 17 years old. I went to college at 16 and was on leave of absence by the time I turned 17. And, you know, I was believing that um, the path to my future would be revealed through my education. My parents were having serious uh, challenges and were on the brink of a divorce. My education wasn't getting paid for, and so I took a leave of absence. And suddenly, I found that I was surrounded by people who were supposed to have the answers, which is what we often think of parents, that they know better, that they're supposed to be acting in our interests. And what I realized was adults don't have it together. (laughs) So here I was, 17 on leave, having to figure out how I was just going to, you know, get the next meal and forget about what my life was going to be. Just getting through each day was a bit of a challenge. And so that was perhaps the first reveal. And what I learned in that moment wasn't to be vulnerable. It was to hide and pretend and not let the world see that because they would have an opinion of me based on what was, what was going wrong in my life. And I think what I ultimately learned, because there were other moments, you know, the moment when I came out um, and shared that I was gay with my mother was, you know, a pivotal moment for me. But it was also a moment where I was not only coming out to my mom, I was making a determination about how I wasn't going to lie about myself in my relationships with friends and family who Many suspected, I'm sure, but no one knew because I wouldn't talk about it. It was that part of myself I withheld. And I tell people who ask me about this work of diversity, inclusion, and belonging, you know, what is it that's most fascinating? And what's most fascinating for me is that when we talk about diversity and inclusion, we're often talking or implying that we have to change things to help others. The reality is what we have to do is remove the barriers to being ourselves because the experience that occurs when we walk into an environment and we feel excluded isn't necessarily that there's something wrong with the exclusion, is that there's something wrong with ourselves. And so I learned that the opposite of inclusion isn't exclusion, it's withholding. At a very young age, we learn to withhold ourselves. When we're upset, we withhold our self-expression. When we're angry, we withhold our affection. When we're hurt, we withhold our love. And ultimately, each time we withhold something from someone else, we also withhold it from ourselves. And so, you know, the big reveal, it could have been when I was close to 40. I 
was interviewing for my first chief diversity officer's role. And understanding this work of diversity and inclusion, I had to determine for myself whether I was going to come out at work. So up mm -hmm. to that point in time, I was not out at work. Mm -hmm. And I knew the person who was hiring me was gay. He was awesome, an amazing sponsor, mentor, friend, champion, kind of boss you want to have when you're young and you're like wrestling with who am I really and how is this going to impact my career? And he was just himself. He made no bones about it, didn't pretend, didn't try to pretend, didn't cover anything. And it was a little shocking to me, but it was also very freeing because he gave me the air cover to be myself. And even as I interviewed, I did something I'd never done. I used pronouns about the people, about my relationships. I didn't try to, you know, define it in some very vague couch term. I talked about, you know, my relationship with a woman and our willingness to relocate and what my life was like. And it was perhaps the first time I met myself as a professional. And I was I became a match for who I was as a person. I can be open and I can be honest. And still the work wasn't done. That's you know it's like an exfoliation process. Yeah. You remove all that stuff that you've taken on and worn and committed to memory to start losing it, you begin to disappear the otherness of who you are to just be you. And I became me. Yeah. Yeah. You are you. And I'm it's definitely amazing. Me. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and see viewers and this, this is what you get. So you're welcome. No, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's amazing that almost that top cover or seeing someone be who they are encourages other people to be who they are. And so I think it's, thank you for sharing about how that your interviewer for that role just showed you, for instance, that, hey, it's okay to be me here. Um, that's, that is such a wonderful validating feeling um, to kind of like, it's almost like taking your belt off after a big meal. <laughs> Uh, that, is, that is a really good equivalent. It's true. It's kind of like, it's so satisfying. <laughs> it's like, yes. ah. <laughs> Let me out of here. Yeah. So and to your point about withholding as well, um, that really deeply resonates with me. Um, just moving away, starting work, living on my own has unlocked a lot of things about myself that I didn't realize I was myself withholding about um, my own sexuality, how I like to express myself, piercings, tattoos, my hairstyle, like so many things I learned um, subconsciously and consciously from parents, school systems to let go of in, in order to pursue school, honestly, um, and like just be good at school. Um, and so even this podcast, for instance, I felt at a time I needed to keep away from certain audiences like, oh, no one at work can know about this or this is not a professional pursuit of mine. I can't put it on my LinkedIn profile, for instance. I used to think all of those things and only through like me working through that with the support of so many other people um, and being OK with being someone who is really interested in the spiritual side of life, who loves to be creative. I love the color purple. Like um, I love talking with people about really introspective topics. Being OK with being that more publicly has also allowed me to be myself more. And so um, withholding can be really toxic and, and was toxic for me. 
So what an amazing example you've just shared of transforming into your greatness. Because we think that we're just hiding those things that might be a little flawed, but what we don't realize is the same energy we use to hide the little things is energy we're applying to hiding much bigger things that tell the story of who we are and what, what our dreams are and who we choose to be in life as opposed to who we've had to pretend to be out of the great intentions often of our parents and families yeah. who yeah. teach us to be kind and you know nicely mannered. And those are good things. I teach my son those things. But also mm -hmm. <laughs> really gaining some dimension of understanding of how our differences aren't wrongs, how our differences are actually where the magic begins, where the alchemy is struck. And it's that difference that gives us the uniqueness of voice and the power of spirit and the energy of aspirations and dreams that are all our own. And I think that transformative power of rising to our greatness exists for each and every one of us. We often don't know it exists. We may not see it. And so finding and creating environments that allow us to reveal parts of ourselves to ourselves, I think is just so important. I know that I'm, I feel incredibly blessed and fortunate to have that at LinkedIn, you know, working in an environment that really is committed to that. And I'm also not naive enough to believe that every individual experiences that, which is why I take pride in doing what I do, because I want every individual to experience that at LinkedIn and beyond LinkedIn. I want everyone to have the ability to create that for themselves and to create it for others. Because when we create it for others, that's where belonging happens. They get to belong and we belong as well. Belonging. Yeah, I think we're going to have a title switch, uh, which you just... Yeah, what you just shared. We're gonna have to switch the title. Um, thinking about how we make how we make ourselves belong, how we let ourselves belong, how we create environments to let ourselves belong. Anyway, yeah, I, I mean, I really that. think belonging is something one person creates for another. But I think you raise something really, really powerful, which is: Do we allow ourselves to belong? I think sometimes if we're uncomfortable in our own skin, there is no amount of belonging that can be created by another for us because we're going to judge with distrust and we're going to judge with skepticism and cynicism because we don't see how great we are. They might see that person, but we don't trust what they're seeing. And so if we're committed to being uncomfortable, we get to be uncomfortable everywhere we go. And we get to be uncomfortable. Yeah, which is not fun. Been there, done that. It's not, not fun. It's necessary for growth, but it's not a good place to be all the time. I'll say that much. Exactly. And you mentioned trust being really important, like us trusting ourselves and just trusting the others around us to receive us. Um what do you think is most important in facilitating relationships with trust? This may like come up a lot in your role, designing programs, for instance, or in your personal relationships. Like, how have you found um, your? How have you found? What behaviors have you found like that make you feel like you can trust someone? You know, 
There are a number of things, and there's a great book that was written by Stephen Covey called The Speed of Trust. That book was really illuminating for me because, you know, as a woman of color, I had embarked on my career and I always operated from the distinction of what I do should be the representation of how effective I am in my work. So I didn't reveal much about myself. You know, consistent with the hiding. People didn't know much about my personal life. Like, I didn't want to let people in. But my work was great, impeccable. It was really good. And I thought that it should have been judged as even better than it was. And it struck me that even as I learned things like you've got to work twice as hard to be half as good, mm. it's not a function of working twice as hard. It's a function of being able to do the work and trust the person or the people you work with and to feel that they trust you. And it seemed that that trust was always elusive. Like we could be friends, we could have a cocktail, but they didn't really know me, I didn't really know them. Mm -hmm. And in a conversation I had with one of my earlier managers, I remember I was 28 years old, he gave me a great performance review, performance rating, and then he was giving me a development feedback. And the development feedback was that I was like, Sorry about that. My mom calling. <laughs> <laughs> the development feedback that I was given by this person that I enjoyed a positive relationship with was that I was like a round ball and it was really hard to get a handle on who I really was. Mm. My immediate reaction to that was, you don't need to know who I really am. All you need to know is that I can do my work and do my work effectively. Yeah, And that conversation in my head, because I didn't speak it out loud, was loud as day. Like, I can, I can hear it in this moment. It's one of those conversations with myself that I've learned probably shouldn't have been happening much later on. Mm -hmm. But it was years later that I recognized what he was saying. And what he was saying is, and this is one of the concepts of the speed of trust. Mm -hmm. I see you doing your work. And your work is good. But who are you really? What drives you? What inspires you? What is it that's motivating you? You know, we've heard it referred to as the content of your character. I wanted him to trust the character just showed up. You could believe it or not choose to believe it. But beyond the content, what he didn't have was a context for my character. He didn't know whether I really had a commitment to what I was doing or whether I was going through the motions. He didn't know what would make me happier in my job because all I was about was doing the work. And it just dawned on me that, you know, the power to build trust first comes by the willingness to give trust. Like if in a world where we expect people to earn it, they're always going to break our hearts. There's always going to be something they screw up with because as human beings, we're not perfect. We're flawed. And so if we're looking for perfection, the trust will never be found. Mm. So being gracious enough to be willing to give trust and being willing to accept that people will make mistakes. The second thing is the unlearning that you can only earn trust. Like, if I give you trust, Charlotte, one of the powerful things about it is 
It's for you to do what you do with it. Mm-hmm. If I'm making you earn trust, then I'm going to create distrust with you because you're going to feel like there's always a moving line. There's something more that needs to be done in order for that trust to be true and verifiable. And so even as I'm beginning to trust you, you're going to begin to distrust me if that trust was even present. And so trust can't go just in one direction. It really operates bidirectionally. It's a two-way process. And I think most of us are believing that it's earned. I think trust is a lot like pregnancy. Granted, only women <laughs> oh, can get no. pregnant. And the reason why I say that is because you're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. Mm. You either trust or you don't trust. And we mm. spend a lot of our lives walking around justifying how much or how little we trust someone, as opposed to just recognizing when there are people in our lives that we trust, they can make the biggest mistakes. We're going to get upset with them and we're going to expect them to fix what they need to fix, but we're still going to trust them. And when there are people we don't know really well and they do something that offends us or strikes us as the wrong thing or not what they should be doing, we don't grant them the benefit of the doubt. We just confirm that we need to distrust them. And so trust doesn't exist in a little or a lot. It just exists or it doesn't exist. And any conversation we have about, you know, I trust, but is just another way of saying I don't trust. Yeah. And when you don't, how can you feel safe and feel like you can be yourself and build reciprocal relationships? Yeah. And Psychological safety is, is premised on our behaviors, but it's also premised on the idea that we're striving to have everyone win. And if I'm not feeling psychologically safe, I'm not going to trust But if I'm not feeling psychologically safe, even when another person is doing things that I could trust, I'm still not going to trust. Yeah. So we have more power over how others trust us than we imagine. We certainly have all the power around how much trust we extend to others. And sometimes it's just the ability to have confidence and trust in our own judgment about trusting another. Like if someone else does something that they shouldn't have done, that's on them. Like, mm-hmm. I can forgive that. But I think as human beings, and certainly when I was younger, I wasn't that forgiving. I just used to write people out of my life. So a lot of dead bodies, as I term it. Like, oh. you screwed up. You failed the perfection test. I can't trust you. You're not in my life yes. anymore. Yeah. You don't have a... I found life can feel very empty when you're looking for ways to disqualify people from the trust thing. I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that one. Um, that uh, building relationships where I personally feel that I can be who I am has been a growing journey for me. I think moving around a lot, um, having to shuffle friendships a lot, lose them unexpectedly, uh, really previously damaged my ability to feel like I could actually just be without worrying about being abandoned or having to leave. Um, and so now when you mention, you know, that trust either exists or it doesn't, and it can feel it's easier actually if we just let it exist. Um, 
I needed to hear that because I, I definitely fall into that perfection category in many ways, especially when I'm thinking about who to keep around um, just because I, I almost have this like survival kick thinking about the people I share with around me, but that has not helped me. So um, it's helped me sometimes, but not, you know, not holistically. And I, I, yeah, that's a really helpful lesson for me to hear from you. How powerful though, to hear, hear your awareness around that, like this self-awareness of who we are and how we behave isn't anchored on being right or wrong. It's anchored on, so what's true about this moment? What's true about what I have and what's true about what I'm giving or not giving and just being responsible for all of it. We don't have to like it, but we can be responsible for it. And when we're responsible for it, we have greater agency to do something about it. Mm. When we're not, we're constantly left waiting for someone to do what's right and someone to apologize for what they did. There's just so much time that gets tied up in a world we have no control over. And we could stay yes. and wait. We could stay and forgive. We could leave and move on. You know, all of it is can be justifiable. But I think that's part of the challenge in life. How much justification do we have to give to any or all of it as opposed to how, how are we going to create the empowered space for ourselves? Like, what do I need to be happy? Is it someone else's actions or is it agency over my own behavior and agency over my own actions in my own life? Yeah. I want to ask you definitely about some of the tactics you've used to create agency and self-awareness in yourself. Um, and also just to reflect on that, um, I mentioned this, but uh, I didn't realize how much independent living would create that sense of agency for me um, and allow me to feel like I can choose, have choice. And, and with choice comes difference. And with difference comes expression. And expression comes with sense of self. So like that um, almost like path of discovery really fulfilling. And I can't wait to see where it keeps going. I'm looking um, so forward yeah. to seeing where it leads you too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but your turn. Okay. Self-awareness. Like I know uh, working within those listeners know what the viewers will learn. Astrology is a big hobby, passion, field, study, I don't know, uh, interest that I really like to delve into and have ever since I was a little girl. It's only gotten more intense, unfortunately. Um, and so that has actually helped me reflect on a lot of, you know, where I've been to now, my personality traits, my tendency to work a lot, all of it um, is pretty much reflected in my birth chart. And so um, that has been a tool that has been really helpful to me. And so I know some of my friends and just learning more about yourself through the lens of something that just helps you reflect and form your own opinion. But I'm wondering, like, Rosanna, how have you throughout your life just aimed to learn more about yourself? I think that is such a such an astute question because I, I grew up believing I would find myself. And what I've learned is that I've always been there, whether I chose to see her or not. I've followed astrology as well. 
Pisces with Virgo rising and Taurus moon, mm -hmm. uh, which probably explains a lot of things, how I'm a bit of a chameleon and how I could roll with the punches. And by the same token, I'm fairly steadfast and loyal and I do have an opinion and I don't have a problem sharing it, but I don't get hung up on it. Um, mm -hmm. I get things done. I can be a real perfectionist about myself. I don't necessarily expect it of others. But I think my real self, my real ability to access self-awareness came close to 15 years ago. I went through a self-development process. I'm a student of, of ontology and engaged in the study of human beings' way of being, mm. for lack of a better term. And um, I did what some people may be familiar with, a course called the Landmark Forum. And in doing so, it revealed so much about how I was operating in life. Nothing wrong, I was successful. I had, you know, a condominium in you know, the New York City area, and I had my own consulting practice. And there is so much about life from the outside that looked ideal, but inside, I was kind of a scared kid, and I was no longer a kid, which is perhaps a little bit of a pity. I was very a confident professional, not as confident in my personal life to speak up for myself. My anger issues were oriented in or grounded in my inability to express anger. And so I lived a life absent being angry because I had some notion of good girl syndrome operating my life. Good girl doesn't get angry. Good girl doesn't do this or doesn't do that. But I was no longer a girl. I was already in my 40s, for gosh sakes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so going through the process of understanding who I am was about recognizing that I'm not a thing. I'm a being. And I choose to be who I am. Mm -hmm. It's not given by title or a bank account. It's not given by my racial identity or my sexual orientation. It's not given by any of the things that for so long I thought, well, these are the things that define me. And mm -hmm. what I do might actually define me as the exception. I'm not that. Well, none of us is that. Yeah. Or this. There is no that. There is no that. And we're not things. And so just this self-awareness that I am no thing. Mm -hmm. I'm nothing. Mm -hmm. Certainly I'm not a thing that you put on a shelf or to be objectified or idolized or put on a pedestal, which I, I often felt growing up, and I felt guilty about that. That my family was so proud of my accomplishments, I was living inside of this fear of disappointing them because they had me on a pedestal. And I began to resent it, but I wouldn't allow myself to be angry about it. And then I recognized that who I am is a declaration based on who I choose to be. Yeah. I choose to be joy. I choose to be service. I choose to be unmessable with, and I choose to be unstoppable. And in being those things, 
That's who Rosanna is. And my self-awareness was that in a moment, I can change who I'm being. And that was like a huge, that was mind-blowing for me. That was such an epiphany. Because I recognized that I, I had already imagined that my life wasn't determined by circumstances. But it never occurred to me that I had a choice in who I could be. Mm-hmm. And when I made the choice around who I was being, all of my actions emanated from that choice. I could be afraid of getting it wrong, or I could be joyful and free. I could be afraid that I didn't get it right, or I could just be accepting and at peace. And so, you know, this self-awareness became something more oriented, not on, you know, some introspective trip down memory road to be able to create a cause and effect map to my life. Like when this happened, then that happened. And no, in any given moment, I can create not only who I am, but what I want for myself. And when I gained that freedom and gained that power, everything shifted. There is, like, life is magical. Like It is. You can declare what you want and then go make it happen, not based on someone else's actions or what they are doing or not doing for you, but that agency then is now opened in such a powerful way. All that I could be left with was, wow. You know, and it's not amazing. I'm amazing as in I impress myself. It's I am like you and like everyone else I've ever met. We're capable of so much more than we realize and that we might allow for ourselves because we live inside of the filters of whatever we think limits us rather than living in the filter of all of that can change. None of that is permanent. None of that truly is who we are. It's just there. Yeah. Yeah. Object object impermanence. Everything is just there. Nothing is permanent. Yes. Um it's just there. And it's not even personal. It's like it'll choose anyone at any given moment in time. So why do I need to own something that isn't even mine? Yeah. 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 And the the power of choice, uh, and I love that you are using the word power, by the way, because it is that, and we all have it, and we can all claim it. Um, the power of choice, I actually want to cue the viewers, listeners here, uh, what would you choose to be, you know, what would you choose to be in this moment, in two days? What do you want to choose to be, to act, to feel? Um, that feels like a really powerful exercise and um, reflects something I I learned similarly in in yoga training. Like, my mind is making this all up for me. Like, this experience, my feelings, my anxiety, which is why I started yoga for full transparency. (laughs) My inability to manage stress, also why I started yoga. Um, But being able to see how I am, see how I be, as you mentioned, Rosanna, Um, and then choose differently, choose to not be running a mile a minute, choose to breathe, choose to focus 
to minimize the like, nervousness and to choose to be more free. Um, that has really helped me out. Um, I so, love that. I love that. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, we're, we're doing it. We've talked about this multiple times. Like, we're going to do it, but... Like we've had our conversations, this has happened, but it's like, wait, Rosanna, like stop. <laughs> we need to record it first. You record it. You know, it's happening you know, full fledged. I love it because it, it really leaves me in the space, you know, to that question of who would I be two days from now? Like what I really feel is this presence of, you know, and this conversation generates it love. The mm -hmm. love for each other, a love for the possibility that we bring to the world, a love for this moment. There's so much written about what's wrong with this moment. And I'm not going to disagree. But what would happen when we start writing about what's beautiful about this moment? Exactly. And what it, what it feels like to be in this space where everything is moving and nothing is moving at the same time. Like COVID has revealed things that had never been revealed in my lifetime. Time stood still for everybody. We all had the same fear at the same time. We were dealing with how do we prioritize that and still have our lives and literally our lives <laughs> and, and our jobs and our careers and like there came a moment where we suddenly had to make decisions about what mattered most in our lives. And we saw society moving yeah. into spaces that were based on what matters most in this moment. Yep. And I think the beauty of that was we actually for a moment could be true to ourselves. Mm. To be honest about, you know, maybe I need to walk away. Or maybe that's mm. not where I want to live. Or maybe that's not what I want to do. You know, we talk a lot about the great reshuffle, the great resignation um, is what some term it, you know, work, we call it the great reshuffle, where people are moving from one place to another physically and from one job to another. And in the process of doing so, they're choosing what they really want. It's a little bit of that, what would you do if you weren't afraid conversation that we've all gotten to visit with and many of us have acted on? So if I were to choose, you know, who I'm being, who I'm going to be, it would be joy and love. Because I feel that in a world where we focus on deficit, we're not experiencing the joy of, of the present. There's still things to be joyful and about and a lot of gratitude for that. And love is something we all use. And when we feel love, that in and of itself has its own transformative effect on how we respond. Yes. When you feel love, it's hard to be angry. When you feel mm -hmm. love, it's really hard to be in blaming. When mm -hmm. you feel Shame. love, it's hard to feel ashamed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Love has just super, super healing powers. Yeah. It's even more healing powers when we can be really open with each other yes. too. And and that's what we aim to do here. I love um, it. Yeah, I really <laughs> feel that. And, you know, these are conversations that people think there has to be like, 
a very special place with nothing going on. And I love how you're creating that so we can all be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I so appreciate that. And I so, uh, I so appreciate you agreeing to, to do this with me, Rosanna, and for sharing your truth and for being vulnerable on the mic with me, with the listeners and viewers. I, I so appreciate you sharing. So um, thank you again. I know I've said an annoying, I've said that an annoying amount of times, but I mean it and that's all that matters. Um, and just listeners, I hope, you know, you, you are thinking about what you choose to, as you see this, um, Rosanna, but as we close out here, so sad to say that, um, but the thing about a podcast is you can replay it. So this is true. Um, <laughs> This is true. Um, how should folks look to see what you're doing and um, potentially connect with you? Certainly there's this little platform called LinkedIn. Happy to connect with people on LinkedIn. Um, beginning to share more of my thinking on LinkedIn is something I intend for this year. So you can follow me on LinkedIn and uh, follow my musings about this work of diversity, inclusion, and belonging, and the alchemy of talent. I think mm -hmm. there's so much for, for all of us to learn from each other and contribute to each other. I'm looking forward to sharing a little bit of what I might have to offer with the rest of the world. I'm looking forward to it, so you know that. <laughs> and that, I'm, I'm so glad. Yes, I love the, the intention for the new year. Um, Thank you, Rosanna, so much again. Uh, we will make sure that her information is linked in this episode description, listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Um, if you are looking for other Working Within stuff um, and Rosanna's information, you can visit the Working Within Instagram, working.within, or the website, workingwithin.net, to stay connected with us, with all the speakers we've had on the show. Thank you for taking your time with us, for taking your eyes with us, your ears with us, your heart, most importantly. Um, and we can't wait to see you again. Same here. Charlene, a real pleasure. Always looking forward to catching up with you soon again. Yes, Rosanna. Thank you. Thank you.